The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His wonders among all peoples. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful day that you have given us to worship you, to gather as your people in your house, that we might sing praises to the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we confess and admit that you are the one who created the heavens and the earth, that you created us. And Lord, we thank you and praise you that in your providence you have appointed that we would be here together today to worship you. Lord, we pray by your spirit that you would be with each one of us. And that together you would join our hearts as we sing praises to you. Lord, may we know that we have been in the presence of the living God today when we leave. And Lord, we pray now together, praying the prayer that you taught your disciples, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. As we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's in the green hymnal on page 845, if you would like to turn there. I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost and born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven 
and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the book of Exodus, chapter 34. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. Amen. Let's continue to worship now. Turn in your hymnal to number 207. Let's sing together, Good Christian Men Rejoice. Come forward at this time for the children's sermon. Good morning, boys and girls. Come on in, scooch in. There's Rick. Scooch in. 
Well, I want to ask you if you know what the fourth candle in the Advent wreath stands for. Does anybody know? The yes. angel's candle? It's the angel's candle. Danny, do you know what the angel's candle represents? Have any idea? Hope. Hope and peace. And I want to share some verses with you that we read last week. And I'm going to point out a different phrase in them this week, okay? This is from Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to be reading verses 13 and 14. This is about the angels. And suddenly there was with the angel, the one who gave the message to the shepherds, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So let me ask you, children, let me ask you, does anyone know... What peace is. When the angel said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. What sort of peace is that? Is that happiness, Kate? Yeah? James? Being calm. Being calm? Absolutely. Abigail? Free from their sins. Free from their sins. At men's Bible study this past week, I asked the men in our church, and some of you young men were there, I asked you, is it possible to have peace among one another, peace among people, without having first peace with God? No. And I, the men said no, just like you just did. No, that it's not possible. It might be a good goal, it might be a good idea. But without our hearts being at peace with God and not raging against Him because of our sin, we will never be able to have peace with one another. We might want peace in our homes, we might want peace in our relationships or even peace on earth. But without the Lord Jesus Christ being exalted on the throne as the king and us humbling ourselves before him and confessing our sins in repentance, it's not possible to have peace. So I want to pray for you this morning, dear children, that you would know this Christmas peace with God. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for our covenant children sitting here this morning and those who are next door in the nursery, or maybe sitting with their parents here this morning. Lord, we thank you and praise you for the gifts that our children are. Your word says that children are a heritage from the Lord, and blessed are parents whose quivers are full. Lord, we thank you and praise you for them. We thank you and praise you that they are the heritage of this church family, and that they will carry the good news of the gospel to the next generation. Why we celebrate Christmas and why we, we mark this time of year. Lord, I pray for each one of our children that they would know saving faith in you, that they would know what it means to have peace with God, to no longer be at war with God, but be at peace with Him and at war with their sin, that they would have the joy and delight of knowing that Jesus has delivered them from sin and hell and death and the grave, and that they are now conquerors in Christ. Lord, I pray that that would be true this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning for our responsive reading, please turn in your hymnal to page number 825. We're going to continue reading in Psalm 107 where we started last week. Page 825. We're going to be reading verses 23 to 43. I'll begin with the light portion and please respond out loud together with the bold. 
It says, men went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. They were at their wits' end. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. He turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground. He turned the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into flowing springs. They sowed fields and planted vineyards that yielded a fruitful harvest. Then their numbers decreased, and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. Whoever is wise, let him heed these things and consider the great love of the Lord. Let's stand together now as we continue to worship and sing together number 214, Angels We Have Heard on High.
be seated. This morning for our pastoral prayer time, I want to pray for our missionaries, Brenna and Becca McCafferty, uh, listed in our bulletin. And I also wanted to pray uh, for our young people here at Lebanon. And by young people, I do mean specifically our teenagers. As I've been thinking this week about the Christmas story that we will be reading in just a few moments, and thinking about our young people as they think about launching out into life, making life decisions, and choosing things that will impact the rest of their lives. I wanted to pray for them this morning as a church family that they would honor the Lord with their choices, not just in the future, but that they would honor the Lord now with the decisions they make, that it would be glorifying to Him and be a joy to our families and to our church family. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You that we may call upon You at this time that you have given this sacred time in our worship service to join our hearts together as a church family, as different families represented in this room, but part of your family in heaven, to be together, to lift up our petitions and our prayers to you. Lord, we pray to you as our Heavenly Father, who we know according to your word hears us. Lord, we lift up our hearts. There are many things that are heavy on our minds that we brought in with us today. Things that we are still struggling through and trying to work through in our minds. And we cry out to you for grace and mercy. Maybe in this life we will not understand everything that troubles us now. We may not see resolution to it now. But Lord, I pray for grace and mercy for your people. That they will continue to look to Christ by faith. And see in him the joy and delight of their hearts. Lord, I pray that you would be with those in our church family who are struggling physically who have sickness and illness in their home, or maybe they themselves are sick and have been struggling for some time. Lord, I raise them up to you, that you would be merciful and gracious to your servants, that you would give relief, that you would give healing as only you can. And Lord, we pray for relief that would be a testimony of your grace in their lives. Lord, I do pray for Brennan Brennan and Becca, that you would bless them in the work that they're doing that you would bless their family as they expect another baby very soon, that you would bless them this Christmas season as they celebrate and rejoice at the work that you have done, that the baby Jesus coming into the world came not to give us a holiday, but came to give us salvation from our sins. Lord, I pray that you would give them joy and delight at the end of this year as they celebrate and as they prepare for another year. I pray for mercy and grace from you that they would be filled with your spirit and joy and delight to do the work that you've called them to do. Lord, I pray that you would be setting up divine appointments for them, that they might be able to share the gospel, and that people who do not know Jesus would come to know you because of your work through them. And Lord, I also lift up our young people here at Lebanon, our teenagers, those who are very close to being adults and who will be going out into the world making decisions And Lord, I pray for each of them, for their hearts, for their spiritual condition, that not just that they go out and be good citizens, that they would be honorable and keep their word and do good in the jobs that you give them. But Lord, I pray for their hearts, that as they think about life in this world, as they think about what they want to do for the rest of their lives, Lord, that they would begin today even by honoring you with their decisions, with the way they conduct themselves, the way they speak. 
And Lord, I pray for their hearts before you, that as they have been raised in this church and heard the gospel, that it would grip their hearts that the Lord Jesus came to die for them, sinners, and that they have the joy and delight of living before you. Lord, I pray that you would protect them and have your hand upon them. And I pray, Lord, that you would be forming in their minds solid convictions about your word and the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you and praise you that as a church family, we may lift up our young people to you. We pray, Lord, that you would grip their hearts by your grace. You love them more than we ever could. In Jesus' name, amen.
invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. We're going to be reading this morning verses 26 to 45. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 45. The sermon is entitled, The Lord is with you. This is the word of the Lord. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you, blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told to her from the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Today is the fourth Sunday in our Advent series, Unto Us a Child is Born. Believe it or not, next Sunday is Christmas. And as the season quickly approaches us, when Advent will turn to Christmas, the season of anticipation, of pain and frustration for some of us, and preparation and contemplation of future joy, may this season, dear believers, not pass you by. May you see and rejoice and behold, just as the angel told Mary, the Lord is with you. Believe that, dear children of God, the Lord is with you by His Spirit. There's a striking theme that I have noticed in this series of sermons over the last few weeks, reading the Scriptures and studying It is that the powerful hand of God is at work in the history of redemption. Even at work today, here at Lebanon, 
in our families in ways that we couldn't quite express all the time and sometimes in ways that we don't connect all the pieces together and see how the the lines and the dots go together. But God is working. He is at work among His people. The other theme that I noticed that is striking is the joyful, humble submission of His people who know that they are right in the center of God's plan for their life. There aren't detours. You don't take wrong turns. There aren't off-ramps or places that God's children go and we sit and wonder and wait. Maybe the Lord will come one day and get me back on track. He takes you exactly where He plans to in His providence. And just as we are here this morning, you may be sure to know God has me right where He wants me. At least one test for our hearts as I thought about this in this sermon series. Do we see God working in our lives? Are we looking for it? Each day, you can behold the work of God Almighty in your home, in your heart, in your battle against sin by His grace. So are we looking? Do we see God working? And number two... Another test for our hearts is do we submit to Him joyfully like we see those in the Scriptures doing? And I hope to talk about that in just a little bit. But may the Lord capture our hearts and our minds, our whole being this morning, in this Christmas season, that we would behold Him in His wonderful, matchless grace. That the Lord Jesus came as a little baby into this world. And as it says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, When the angel spoke to Joseph, he said, You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. May the Lord grip our hearts with that truth this Christmas season. I want to look at this passage of Scripture under three headings this morning. The first is a troubled greeting. The second, a once-for-all-time event. And lastly, the humility of faith. Number one, a troubled greeting. I want to speak for just a moment about the the business of angels. We've read a lot about them these last four weeks. Almost as if you would think, maybe they're at work now. How are they working now? We've seen them throughout the Scriptures in the different stories that we've read. And who are angels? What are they doing? According to the Bible, they are the servants of God who carry out His instructions. They do His bidding. They do His will. And they deliver divine messages to God's people. Sometimes messages of judgment. Many times messages of hope. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, it says that there are things that angels desire to look into. To see with their eyes and understand and behold. It says earlier in that passage that they desire to look into what it is that the prophets came to speak about. The sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. The angels in heaven desire to look at the salvation of God's people and understand it. And we see in verse 26, a particular angel is named. It's the angel Gabriel. He was sent by God in Elizabeth in her sixth month of pregnancy. He was sent from the throne room of heaven to Galilee to see a young lady, 15 at most years of age, to see Mary. Those are pretty specific directions if you think about it. And you wonder, boy, when he came in the door, 
Did he take a wrong turn? Can you imagine being Mary and here is this radiant being in your presence and he's speaking to you and he came in your home. Maybe you went to the wrong place. This is the same angel who appeared at the altar of incense when Zacharias was offering the incense to the Lord just earlier in this chapter. In Luke chapter 1 verse 19, he said to Zacharias, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring these glad tidings to you. In the book of Daniel chapter 9 verse 23, it says, this is Daniel speaking and having a conversation with this same angel Gabriel. This is a book in the Old Testament. Gabriel tells Daniel, at the beginning of your supplication, at the beginning of your prayers for God's people, the command went out. And he doesn't say who who gave the command, but we can infer that this was the command of the living God. And what did he tell him to do? He says, I have come to tell you, to give you understanding in dreams and to tell you that God has heard your prayers. From our vantage point, we have the scriptures in front of us. We know the previous stories that we've read in the book of Luke. We've seen other stories in the Old Testament of Abraham and Sarah, of Elkanah and Hannah and Elizabeth and Zacharias and John the Baptist. From our vantage point and our understanding of history and scriptural history, this introduction that this is the angel Gabriel, it should be signaling us, it should be shouting to us, behold, God is about to do something. Hold on to your seat. There's a troubled reading though. And there's a message to Mary and Joseph. And it's significant that in the book of Luke and in the book of Matthew, there is the same message from angels to both of them. In the Bible, when one message comes, you might think curiously about it. Is this true? Is it right? But in the Bible, when something is confirmed twice, it is significant. It means that that message is from God. In Luke chapter 1, Gabriel comes and says, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, in verse 28. And then in verse 30, he reassures Mary, You have favor with God. You, Mary. The Latin for being favored by the Lord, the Latin translation is full of grace. You might have heard this in a familiar phrase, Hail Mary, full of grace. Some people believe this means that Mary has at her disposal almost like a container of grace that she can pour out and bestow on other people at her own bidding. This is a wrong interpretation of Scripture. What the Bible is saying is rather the God Almighty who sits on the throne in heaven has bestowed His grace on you and for no reason other than His good pleasure. You are in a unique sense a divinely favored person. And you cannot look inside yourself, Mary, to see why. Because the source of it is in Him. It's not in you. It is a gracious bestowing of His favor on your life. And you cannot explain it unless you look at Him. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, while Joseph was troubled with this news that his betrothed, this woman who was promised to marry him, her name was Mary. She's 15, maybe. At the most, they have already made promises legally in front of witnesses that they will be married. The only thing that is left to do is to have the marriage ceremony and the feast week and to celebrate the marriage bed that God had ordained for man and woman as husband and wife to enjoy. And he's troubled to know that this Mary, 
has a baby in her belly. And so he wants to be an honorable man and put her away quietly. But it says that he's thinking about these things, he falls asleep, and he receives a visit from an angel in a dream. And that angel says, Do not be afraid to take to you marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. That's the same answer that Gabriel gave to Mary. How could this be? Because I don't know a woman. I don't know a man, excuse me. How can this be? How is this possible? What was troubling in that message? I said it's a troubling message. What's troubling about that? How could Mary be singled out for special favor from God Almighty? It was shocking to her. I'm a young lady. I'm a young woman. I'm not from an important family or an important part of the country. Why is it that the Lord has chosen me? But it must have been on her mind In Psalm 138, verse 6, Though the Lord is on high, yet He regards the lowly. He sees them, He notices them, and He bestows His grace on them, and nothing can remove it. This was the troubling message and greeting from the angel. Number two, a once-for-all-time event. That wasn't the only message that the angel gave Mary. It says in verse 27, That she would conceive by the power of the Holy Ghost and she would have a baby. We call it the virgin birth. We confessed it this morning in the Apostles' Creed. We do believe in the virgin birth. But more specifically, we believe in the virgin conception. That there was not the normal course of events for how a woman has a baby in her belly. Mary's birth would have been normal. She would have delivered and carried the baby to term, delivered like normal. But it was the conception That was absolutely a miracle of God. She says in verse 34, I don't know a man. I haven't known a man yet. And Gabriel says in his answer that it will be by the power of the Holy Spirit that this will happen. That you will be having a baby in your belly, Mary, because God Almighty, by the Holy Spirit, will put it there. And it's the same message that Joseph heard in a dream. This is not a normal occurrence. If you went to the hospital, either here in Winsboro or went to Columbia, you're not going to hear reports of virgin conceptions. They don't happen. It's not normal now. It wasn't then. This is a singular event in redemptive history. And the angel, in his answer to Mary, when she said, how can this be? The angel annexes Elizabeth. And you might think, well, that's kind of odd and strange. She's got some personal questions about what seems like her life is going to be turned upside down. Things are not going to be the way they had planned. The two families agreed, Joseph and Mary. And the angel then starts to talk about her relative Elizabeth. This old woman, according to her husband and according to the angel, who is now going to have a baby and is six months pregnant. Why did he bring this up? And it has been throughout the scriptures in this sermon series. As we looked at the different narratives, God is doing the impossible and nothing is too hard for Him. Nothing is too far away that He can't reach and do it. He is not bound by anything at all. Nothing is too hard. It's a fantastical prophecy, really. What is God doing? It's like the unfolding of a flower. He's revealing His plan to save His people. He's going to send Jesus, the divine Son of God, into the world. And somehow, in a way that we cannot explain, we believe by faith, He will be fully God and fully man at the same time. And He is the 
hope and desire of God's people. He's the Redeemer, the Messiah, the one who would come and deliver them from their sins and from their enemies and put them back in right relationship with God. In Matthew one twenty one, it says, You shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. A once for all time event. Maybe for some of you, you think about this event maybe one time a year as we think through the Christmas story. But I think maybe this, this one time event is a stumbling block for many people. It's not a small item to dismiss. It's not something that we can just kind of uh, choke through when we confess our faith. We cannot mimic this miracle, no matter the advances in technology and science. It's not possible. And this is absolutely a non-negotiable in the Bible. You can't say, well, I I believe all the other parts, but then I don't really think this is true. I'll just set this part aside in the Christmas story. I don't believe that's true. It is a non-negotiable. I want to read again Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. It says, He will be great, speaking of Jesus, And he will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Gabriel is here prophesying future events. Not because he has the power of prophecy. But because he was sent from the throne room of God. And God said go deliver this message to Mary my maidservant. Tell her. He details very specifically what's going to happen. And everyone who would hear this message would know the angel is claiming that this is the Messiah. The one that we've been waiting for. The one who would finally do what God promised to Adam and Eve in the garden. He would crush the serpent's head. He would make the curses untrue. We would finally be able to walk with God again because of the work that this Messiah would do. And for some of us, This is too unbelievable. And since it hasn't happened again, you can't go and Google it and find, are there records of other virgin conceptions? We say it must not be true. It's just a Christmas myth. It's no more than a fable we read to our children to tell them about why we have this special time of year when it might be so cold. It just can't be true. But consider some related key doctrines in the Bible. That if we decide to throw out the virgin birth, we'll take care of the other things and believe those. But we've got to throw out the virgin birth. What about the substitutionary atonement of Christ? What about the resurrection? Peter said, if in this life we only have hope, we are of all men most miserable. If you can say that Jesus was not conceived by the Holy Ghost... How did He become a sacrifice for your sins as the God-man? How did He atone for you? Why does His resurrection mean anything more than another miracle in the Bible? But if God and man joined in one and the Son of God resurrected from the grave, then you and I have hope that one day in His promise, we will be raised up with Him forever. That death is not an enemy who holds us. Death is nothing more than a doorway into Eternity with Jesus, to be with Him forever. Consider Jesus' acceptable sacrifice on our behalf, satisfying the justice of God and the righteousness of God. If He is just another man, then He did something nice, but it doesn't atone for us. But if He is God and man in one, conceived by the Holy Ghost in the belly of the Virgin Mary, 
then His sacrifice on the cross in our place is acceptable in the sight of God the Father. His wrath and His justice are satisfied in a way that we could never do. We must hold on to this doctrine. It is non-negotiable. I want to read Psalm 118, just a few verses this morning. Psalm 118, beginning in verse 22. This is about Jesus. Psalm 118, beginning in verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And this was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Those are words that Jesus applies to Himself. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, quoting and thinking about these very verses in Psalm 118, he says that God said, I lay in Zion among My people, those whom I love, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. And then he goes on to say that those who believe in the Gospel, this chief cornerstone is precious to them. That Jesus is precious. And Jesus used this very phrase from Psalm 118 and applied it to Himself in Matthew chapter 21, verse 44. He said to the Pharisees and to the scribes, I am that chief cornerstone, precious and elect. He said, I am God. I am here in the flesh. I am the the salvation of my people. But notice this once for all time event. I said there was double confirmation. Because the angel appeared to Mary and the angel appeared to Joseph. But notice at the end of our passage, there's another confirmation that I think is just another way. God didn't have to do this in writing the scripture, but he did. He confirms for our hearts. It says that Mary left immediately to go see her relative Elizabeth, this one who was called barren, who's now six months pregnant. Talk about surprises. And again, Luke tells us that God is among them. Just to be reminded, God is with His people. Don't forget, He's with them. Mary greeted Elizabeth. It would have been normal. You entered someone's home, you greeted them. You don't just walk in and go to the kitchen, do you? You go in, you see them. Hello, Elizabeth. And it says that the baby John leaped in his mother's womb and Elizabeth immediately was filled with the Holy Spirit. And look at what she said to Mary. Blessed are you among women. Look back over at what the angel Gabriel said to Mary. Blessed are you among women. Why is it the same thing? Is it because Luke is a good storyteller? No, it's because God the Holy Spirit inspired Elizabeth to say that. The same message that He sent Gabriel to go and tell Mary. It's it's a triple confirmation. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed are you among women. It's the same word. We should, if you had a highlighter or something to write in your Bible, God is at work. He's moving. He's doing something. He's speaking to these women. He's telling them that He is doing the business of His church. And by the Holy Spirit, because all Mary gave was a greeting, Luke records it. By the Holy Spirit, Mary has a baby in her belly. And by the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth knows it before Mary even says anything. How else can you explain it? There's not another way to know. She wouldn't have been walking around town with a letter on her chest to let everybody know, I have a baby. 
It says she went with haste to go see Elizabeth, her relative. And then Elizabeth blesses her. She says, blessed is she who believed. For there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. In verse 45, Elizabeth pronounces a blessing on her relative Mary. And she confirms to Mary by the Holy Spirit speaking through her the message from God. And it must have so encouraged Mary's heart. Because next, if you look at the next verses, Mary bursts forth in praise. In what is known as Mary's Magnificat, she sings praise to God. And she acknowledges, God is favoring me and I don't know why. It's throughout her song. God is favoring me and it's not anything in me. It's His doing and He's doing something much bigger than just simply blessing me and my household. He is blessing His people. He is saving us from our sins. So lastly, this morning, we said number one, a troubled greeting. Number two, a once for all time event, the virgin birth. And number three, the humility of faith. And I want to speak about this for just a few moments. We see in Mary a heart of faith that receives the Word of God even without all of the details. Even without full disclosure. How is this story going to end for me? You told me about my baby, but you didn't tell me how things are going to work out for me. I actually am betrothed to Joseph after all. Is my family going to disown me? Is he going to disown me? What's going to happen to me? And see Gabriel's answer to Mary when she says, how is this going to be since I don't know a man? He says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And it comes at kind of a finality of statement, but wouldn't you say that begs a lot more questions? Could you maybe, not the mechanics, but could you maybe just go a little bit slower for me, Gabriel? Could you just tell me a little bit more about what this means? Can you help me understand all the details. I'm just not sure. I get it. And I'm afraid. She's a 15-year-old girl after all. And yet she esteems herself as a disciple of the living God. She says in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, these words, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word, which I believe She's saying, I understand the message that you gave me today is a message from God. And may it be to me according to what you have said, because I understand that God Almighty is working this plan. And I know and I'll I'll trust him. What a humbling response to read from this young woman. Mary surrendered her will to the Lord. It was a, a volitional act. She surrendered questions and concerns and anxieties and fears. And she rested her faith in who God is, in His promises to care for her. He will secure her future. It's up to Him. It's in His hands. It's not actually in her hands. And it's only a myth if she believed that it was. He will handle any reproach that might befall her. In Psalm 119, verse 38, there's a mirror of these words that Mary said. May it be to me according to your word was, is taken from Psalm 119, 38. May all of your words be confirmed for me. Do in my life, Lord, what you will. I am your servant. Use me how you will. It's a beautiful statement of faith and trust in the Lord. The last thing I want to share with you is that this kind of faith is the opposite of entitlement. And a gentle question this morning. I do mean a gentle question. Something to to probe your heart, to think about as you consider 
this Christmas season, as you consider the life that God has given us, does the grace of God amaze you? The grace that He's poured out on you and your family? Things that you could never take credit for, even if you tried to order your life the way that it is now, could you have hit it out of the park a thousand percent to be able to ensure that you are where you are? Or is it by the grace of God that you are here, that your family is here? And I don't just mean here this morning, though certainly that's included. Does the grace of God amaze you? Or are the things that you enjoy, the blessings upon your head and your family's head, are they your due? God owes them to you. I want to share something with you from a table talk uh, from last December. The Theology of Christmas. It's a, it's a very short article. An entitlement. When Grace is Not Grace by Carrie Hahn. She says, in the Reformed faith, we certainly esteem the saving grace of God. We, we esteem His particular grace in our lives. That the substitutionary death of Christ was done so that we might be reconciled to God. We hold that up high that we might be made children of His. We extol the grace of God in salvation and would never say that we are owed the right to become children of God or that we are entitled to His saving grace as though He owes it to us. Therefore, the problem with sinful entitlement in our hearts and the mentality that many of us struggle with usually lies in our understanding of not in special grace, but in our understanding of common grace. And I found this to be particularly challenging as I read it. It's not that we believe, that we don't believe that God's salvation is a gift. It's that we believe that the everyday things we enjoy, the things that come into our lives, the things that we enjoy or the hardships that we have, that God somehow owes us a certain amount of the good things of this world and that He also owes us that He would keep a certain amount of the tragedies of this world away from us because we belong to Him. There's a sinful sense of entitlement rooted in this flawless belief that while special grace is indeed grace, common grace should be distributed by God more liberally and more equitably, thus rendering it not grace at all, but a right that we are entitled to. We take out our measuring sticks almost instinctively as we compare our lot in life to others. Though we may be unaware of it, we often calculate a threshold level of this world's goods or suffering or deprivation below which God should not bring us. And if and when He does, the proud and entitled heart cries out in bitter protest. Of course we expect some suffering in this life and don't expect to be complete to complete our earthly sojourn with no suffering at all. But surely God would never allow too much suffering and deprivation in the life of a child who belongs to Him. But you see in this answer from Mary, a heart of faith that says, Lord, take my life and let it be. How, how, can, you, how can you give this kind of answer? How do you do it? Unless you see and behold the Lord Jesus in all of His beauty, in all of His glory, the reason why He came. He came not for good people. He came for sinners. He came for people who needed saving. That though He was rich, Yet for our sake, He became poor. How could we say to Him, you owe me this kind of life, or you can't bring this into my life? How could we say that to Him, knowing that He is the Savior of all of the world? I want to encourage you, dear believer, to remember this year 
that despite what you are going through, and even in spite of suffering and difficulty and sickness and illness and things that you would not have imagined you are dealing with on this day, remember it is God's promise. The Lord is with you. And He promises to pour out His grace to be sufficient for you in the midst of your trials and difficulties. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the promise of Your Word and Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank You for Mary who was, I'm sure, fearful about many things, and yet she said, by faith, be it unto me according to your word. She was settled that God is good and I will trust Him. Just like Job who said, though He slay me, yet I will trust Him. Shall we not also from God's hand receive both the blessings and the cursings? Lord, we thank You and praise You for Your sovereignty in our lives, and we know that You govern everything according to Your good pleasure all of our pleasures and all of our difficulties. We thank You and praise You that You are with us every day through everything by Your Spirit. May we remember it. May we cling to that this Christmas. Whether it is uncertainty or sickness or trials or financial troubles in our home, Lord, I pray that You would help us to look to You as the One who is the answer to our questions. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's stand together responding to the word singing hymn number 227 on Christmas night all Christians sing.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, we dedicate to you now our tithes and our offerings, gifts that you have given to us that we might enjoy and in worship return to you a portion of what you have so richly blessed us with. Lord, we pray that you would use our tithes and offerings for the furthering of your kingdom, that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and his deliverance from sin might be spread abroad. Lord, we pray that you would use it to bring lost souls out of the kingdom of darkness and into your kingdom of light. And may we have joy in our participation in this part of spreading the good news of the gospel. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. benediction of our Lord. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.